to open us up in just a brief moment of business because there is uh, one thing we do need to act on definitely tonight. And while we're in business, there are some church letters that we need to consider sending uh, because of the requests. Um, I'll go ahead and share with you on behalf of the church leadership the first thing we need to do, and that would be to increase the budget line item for the church's property insurance by $4,000. Uh, Just so you know, uh, it has been shopped out and uh, others have made proposals on it, uh, but the leadership is recommending that the church continues with brotherhood, church insurance, and um, it it does come at an increase of 4,000. I think if I understood correctly, the primary reason for that is because there are several different things that are added to that policy that makes it a better policy for the church. So I set that before you and would entertain a motion that um, we increase the line item by $4,000. Mr. Sam saw your hand first. All right, so we have a, a first a motion and a second. Are there any questions regarding this item of business? Yes, sir. That that is a good question. Yeah, I can't answer that because I'm not really sure who the clerk might be. Darren is okay. Okay, all right. Would would someone agree to make some notes of, of, okay, if you would, and uh, if you have a sheet that maybe you can separate from your, then uh, Marilyn will, will take care of that for us. Thank you so much. So there has been a motion and a second on the floor to increase the insurance line item at $4,000. Now, at this point, would there be a question that uh, needs to be posed before we vote? Hearing none, then I think it's in order for us to vote all in favor of increasing the insurance line item at $4,000 and remaining with Brotherhood for the church uh, facilities insurance. Let that be known by an uplifted hand. All right, thank you very much. Are there any opposed? And so that passes unanimously. There are... While we're in business, there are a few letter requests that have accumulated in the church office that we do need to deal with, and we should take these one by one. First of all, White Lick Baptist Church is asking for letters on Matthew and Courtney Jackson. 
Matthew and Courtney Jackson to White Lick Baptist Church. Danny makes a motion that we issue those letters. I saw Mr. Joe's hand as a second. Are there any questions about issuing those letters for Matthew and Courtney Jackson? All right, all in favor, let that be known by an uplifted hand. If there are any opposed, same sign. So that again is unanimous. Then we have a letter request from Calvary Baptist Church in Danville for Amelia Bradshaw. Amelia Bradshaw. Is there a motion that... uh, Okay, we have motions and seconds. Eddie... You want to take, who made the second? Then Sam, I saw your hand, so Eddie and then Sam. All right, motion in second. Any question about those, or that particular letter, Amelia Bradshaw, Calvary Baptist in Danville. All in favor, let that be known by an uplifted hand. Any opposed like sign, unanimously then we agree to issue that letter. Then we have a request from Gap Creek Baptist Church in Monticello for Gunner and Bethany Barrier. Gunner and Bethany Barrier to Gap Creek Baptist Church in Monticello. All right, Josh makes that motion. Is there a second? David makes the second. Are there any questions about that letter? Those letters, it would be Gunner and Bethany Barrier. All right, all in favor, let it be known then with an uplifted hand. Then, last of all, uh, and, and this is one um, that may be a repeat, and if it is, we can strike it from the record for this meeting, but it wasn't clear if the church, well, let me just, let's just do it this way. Does anyone have memory of the church issuing a letter for Jordan Kelly to Broadhead Baptist Church? All right. Most people are saying no. Then uh, who wants to make motion that uh, we have a, a motion in the back? Is there a second? Danny makes a second. Any question about Jordan Kelly letter to Broadhead Baptist Church? All right. All in favor then, let it be known by an uplifted hand. Any opposition like sign? All right. Then unanimously, that also has been taken care of. A letter for Jordan Kelly to Broadhead Baptist Church. All right, that was a special meeting just for those purposes. So uh, at this point, it would be in order for someone to move to adjourn. Mr. Joe makes a move to adjourn. And all in favor, say amen. amen. All right. Any opposed? All right. You can't be opposed because that's all we can deal with tonight. It was just for that purpose. We're going to have... Uh, a fun time 
tonight and the next couple of Wednesday nights. And so I'm going to give you a piece of paper, and I hope I have enough copies. Some of you may need to share as couples. We'll let you participate as couples if that would be your preference tonight. So I'm going to get these started over here. If you'd just take one and pass back, and then the same over here. Let's, let's do that. If you're here tonight together as a couple, take one, take one per couple, and then I'll explain as those start making their way to the back of the auditorium. Uh, tonight, the next couple of Wednesday nights, we're going to have some Christmas trivia. And I hate to even put it that way because nothing about biblical Christmas is trivial, right? It's the most important thing really that's ever happened, the gift of the Lord Jesus to the earth. But as we go through some questions, we'll give you some time to respond to those questions. And I'm going to take each one as just a few moments of teaching time. So we're going to uh, pose ten questions tonight, ten questions next Wednesday night, and ten more questions the Wednesday night after that. Now here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep your sheet. So if you've received a sheet tonight, keep that, fold it up, put it in your Bible or in your church folder, however you maintain your church documents. Not enough. We still need some more. All right. It's circulating around. We'll have some extra over the next couple Wednesday nights for those that aren't here to, uh, tonight. But I know each of you that are here tonight that are receiving one of those, you're going to hold on to this uh, for dear life. And it's going to come back with you for the next two Wednesday nights. Listen, uh, whoever has the, the most answers correct, and you know, you're in the house of the Lord, so you've got to be honest. And you can correct yourself, but the first answer you write in the blank is your honest answer. And feel free, you do want to correct yourself if you miss any of these. Uh, and I think this will be a meaningful and fun experience for you as we have these next few weeks. But whoever has the most answered correctly, two Wednesday nights from now, I'm going to have a special gift, and it's a really good one. Just trust me. I'm going to have a special gift, and I'm going to share it with the one who has provided the most correct answers. So here's what we're going to do for the whole time tonight, and about half the time next Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at some certain Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus, and then we'll examine how they're answered in the New Testament, and we'll have a conversation about those as we go. So I'm not going to read any passage of Scripture up front because we're going to look at several different ones and I'll make some comments on each of them as we go through. And then at the conclusion of our time, I will come back to actually this first one and we'll delve down into it just a little more. So are you ready? You didn't know coming out on Wednesday night, cold like it is, could be this much fun. I can see it in your eyes. So here we go. 
Here's our first question, and you want to write your answer down, and after you've written your answer down, I'm going to give you time to, to reply out loud. But which Old Testament book, do you suppose, contains the very first prophecy concerning Christ? In other words, what is the first messianic prophecy in the Old Testament? Where does it fall? In which particular book of the Bible? I'll give you a hint. I've answered this as we've had some sermon time on Sunday morning. In fact, I do believe I mentioned it last week even. But there are about 365 Messianic prophecies in all the Old Testament. And this is the first one of those. So have you had time to write down your answer? Alright, has everybody had time to write down your answer? So which one is it? Which Old Testament book contains the first messianic prophecy? The first prophecy about Jesus coming? Alright, you guys are smart tonight. So it is indeed the book of Genesis... Who happens to know where it's at in the book of Genesis without looking in your Bible? Does anybody know? Where is it in the book of Genesis? And we have folks upstairs. Did you all get sheets up there? I hope you did. Great. Does anybody happen to know where it is in the book of Genesis? Well, you don't even have to know the address. Do you know what's happening? What is going on? What's the context? of the first promise of Christ in the Bible. I heard serpent. Absolutely. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and as time permits us, I do want to come back to this one at the conclusion of our time tonight and say a little more about it. But you you know this particular verse because again, Adam and Eve had fallen in the Garden of Eden and God is having that conversation with Eve and He tells her, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So who's the he that's doing the bruising of the serpent's head? It's Jesus So the very first messianic prophecy that comes into fruition at Christmas is Genesis 3.15 where God says that through the seed of Eve, which is unusual by the way, I'll say a little more about that if we have time at the end, but through the seed of a woman and the posterity that would come after her, the Lord Jesus is coming onto the scenes eventually that will bruise the head of the serpent. Uh, How many of you have watched the movie that was out, I guess, 20 years ago or so, The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie? I, I think one of the most powerful scenes in that whole movie is where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, 
the devil is there, Satan is there to be a part of that scenario to tempt Christ. And through the magic they do in movies, the person portraying Satan goes into a serpent and starts crawling toward Christ when he stands up and he crushes the head of the serpent. Very powerful, uh, moving moment that portrays what God promised back there in Genesis 3.15. Staying with that, my second question is this. God promised Eve that her offspring would bruise the serpent's head, Jesus. Which gospel writer traces Christ's ancestry all the way back to Adam and Eve? Don't you look in your Bibles. I'm watching. Don't look in your Bibles because it'd be awfully easy to find. Uh, It's limited to four choices. So this is almost like a choose the best answer or multiple choice exam. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So which of those four is it? Which one traces the ancestry of Christ all the way back to that first messianic prophecy? When I see everybody looking up this way, I'll know that we can call for an answer out loud. All right. What do you think it is? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Matthew, John, Luke, process of elimination works every time, right? It's it's actually the book of Luke. Luke takes the ancestry all the way back. And I want to share with you a little bit tonight about why he does that. But before I do, I know I've mentioned this recently in a sermon as well. So I'm really going to figure out tonight who's been naughty or nice. I mean, who's listening and who's not listening, right? Now, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Y'all know I like to have fun. Um, There's one of the gospel writers that is different from all the others. Of course, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, who probably is writing down the reflections of Peter... So when you read the book of Mark, most scholars agree that Mark is writing down the memories of Peter as he shares them with Mark out loud. And so you're getting the thoughts of Peter there. So any way you look at it, Matthew, Mark, and John are all Jewish writers. There's a difference, though, when you get to Luke. And there's the reference, if you just want to make a note of this, and you can go back and read it later. Luke was a Gentile author. Luke was the only four, one of the four, that that wrote a gospel as a Gentile, and he wrote it primarily for a Gentile audience originally. So that's why he would do that. He would take the ancestry of Jesus all the way back to Adam and Eve, because what do we know about the nations of the world? All the nations of the world come from one set of primeval parents, right? Adam and Eve. We all go back to Adam and Eve. 
there's one race, by the way, the human race, and we all uh, look a little differently by God's design and our environmental experiences and all of those things, but the bottom line is we all have a sin nature in common. And so we all need a Savior. Luke is emphasizing that, and he takes that lineage all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. So Luke wanted us to know that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ was for the world, for everybody. We'll move a little bit forward in the chronology of the Old Testament, and we'll talk about Jacob here. So, who is Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So, Jacob would later be renamed Israel. That's where the name Israel comes from. And he, before he died, would prophesy over each of his 12 sons. And one of those 12 sons was going to be the regal son. In other words, he would be the one from whom all of the kings of Israel would come, and then ultimately the Messiah would come from that same son or tribe. So which one was it? Which son of Jacob, of Israel, which tribe that came from Israel would be the one that would produce the kings of Israel leading up to the Messiah. When I see everybody looking this way, we'll call for an out loud answer. You are having fun with me tonight, right? Okay. All right. And by the way, you you don't have to turn your exam in. You don't have to turn it in. You don't have to show anybody else. You, you know, it's yours to have and to hold from this time forward. And, uh, you know, so nobody's going to look. Nobody's going to, you know, point fingers or make fun or anything like that. We're just having a good time together. But we want to keep it for the record because you do want my prize, I promise. So which one was it? That's right, exactly. Judah, from the tribe of Judah. What, what do we know was another name for the Messiah? The Lion of Judah. Exactly, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's look at the passage, Genesis chapter 49 in verse 10. Again, Jacob here is prophesying over his sons, and he says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words... Judah would always produce the kings, nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now, who's that referring to? Jesus. Until the Messiah, until the peace of Israel would come, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So the promise that God makes through Jacob to his son Judah, and then ultimately the tribe of Judah, is that the kings would come from Judah, leading all the way down to the Messiah. So Judah is the right answer. Nathan promised David 
that his throne would be eternal. You can find that in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. So we're, we're taking a prophecy here from the Old Testament and looking at it as it comes into fruition in the New Testament. Who do you think in the New Testament was the first to hear that Jesus' kingdom would never end? I'm not looking. Now listen before you write down. We're not looking for a book here. So don't write down Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It certainly gives you the answer one of those books does. But who would be the person? Who would be the character? Who would be the first one in the New Testament that would hear that the Lord Jesus is coming and His kingdom will never ever end? Now, think about that and and think about the people I'm giving you a big, big hint here. Think about the people who first knew that Mary had conceived supernaturally, miraculously, and would deliver a son. So I've given you a big, big hint there. So who would hear that first? That when this Jesus would be born, His will be a kingdom that would never end. All right. You ready to say it? Who was it? Mary was the one. You know, Mary, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Let me see if I can go back. There we go. Mary had conceived. Mary certainly had to be frightened and amazed and wondering what Joseph was going to think. You know, all of those emotions had to be feeling her mind and her heart. And she receives the the news from the angel that tells her, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So it will be Mary in the Christmas story that would hear the fulfillment of the prophecy that when Jesus would come, His kingdom would last forever. Which Old Testament prophet foretold the virgin birth that a virgin would conceive? I see everybody looking up. We'll call for the answer. Which Old Testament prophet foretold the virgin birth? Let's hear it. Who told it? I'm hearing it out there. That's right. It is Isaiah. Isaiah would foretell the virgin birth. You know this verse. Isaiah 7:14. Scripture says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, let's reflect on that for just a moment because a few times a year, at least in church, we talk about the virgin birth and typically it's reflected somewhere in 
our doctrinal statement as a Bible-believing Baptist church. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that Mary gave birth because she had received a miraculous conception? Why is that important? Is it? Well, let me just ask you this. Is that important? I'm hearing amen. I'm seeing heads going up and down. So I think we all do agree. So why is it? Why is that important? He could not come from man. That's a great answer. We needed a perfect sacrifice. That's a great answer. Take, takes away the that Everybody's really one way or the other saying the same thing. Remember this. The, the virgin birth is not a secondary or tertiary doctrine. It's not. It is a primary doctrine. It's very important. I mean, uh, anything, any look at the birth of Christ outside of a virgin birth means that it's, it's a natural human biological birth. And my friends, if that is who Jesus is, if Jesus was a man born just like we were all born, then the bad news is we are still lost in our sins. That's how important the virgin birth is. And everybody who replied is right. If it was a natural birth, a biological birth, like all other births, then Jesus would have been the offspring of man. Which means that Jesus would have inherited what? The sin nature. He would have inherited Adam's sinful nature because the fact of the matter is it has been passed down through the generations of time all the way to us tonight. We needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed one who, although as the writer of Hebrews would write, was tempted in every manner, in every way, he did not sin. The temptation was there. You know, speaking of temptation, we talked a couple Wednesday nights ago about temptation. If you ever feel like that, that you are terribly tempted, always know this, your best friend, and if you're saved tonight, your best friend is Jesus. Your best friend, your advocate with the Father, was tempted more than you'll ever dream about being tempted. Jesus was tempted more than you. And I'm talking about any kind of temptation you can imagine, Jesus was hit with that temptation. You imagine it, Jesus was hit with that temptation. All temptations came His way. He was tried more than any other person who ever lived on earth, yet He did not fall to temptation because He was the God-man. 100% God at the same time, 100% man. That's a miracle. And I'm not going to get deep into that because we're going to preach about that in a couple of weeks. But listen to me. If Jesus had not been the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, 
He could never have been the perfect sacrifice. And that would mean we're still lost in our sins. So when we talk about the virgin birth and you hear a verse like this quoted and even written on cards over the Christmas season, it's for good reason because it is a primary doctrine. Therefore, the, virgin, the Lord Himself will give you the sign the virgin will conceive. That leads us into our next question. Isaiah says, She shall call His name Emmanuel. What does that name mean? What does the name Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel. There's a fairly popular and somewhat recent Christmas song that you'll hear on K-Love and other Christian radio stations this time of the year that, that actually answers this right in the song. Emmanuel, blank, blank, blank. I just gave you a hint. You've got one blank on your page, but you need to write down three words. All right. I still see some looking at their sheets and writing, so I'll give you time because you want my prize. Well, it gets harder. It gets harder. All right, so what does it mean? When we talk about Jesus being Emmanuel, what does that mean? Absolutely. What a beautiful thing. And that obviously leads us right back to where we were a moment ago, the virgin birth. The only way God was with us and is with us is that the virgin virgin conceived and, and gave birth to our Savior Jesus. So Emmanuel, God with us. Can I tell you something a little funny? Now listen, I, I, you have to forgive me because I see funny things maybe in things that other people don't see, but I've noticed over my lifetime that when you have one of those church splits, and we, we hate to see that, we hate to think about it, have, hate to talk about it, but every now and then a church splits, but I have noticed just about every time a Baptist church splits, guess what the new church names itself? Emmanuel, because God is with us and not with y'all. Mark my word, and, and you can research this, you can study it. That is most commonly, I don't know if it's because they're really trying to say that. God forbid, I hope they're not trying to say that. But there are a lot of churches that split off from another and end up naming themselves Emmanuel. I want you to look at this verse. This is a beautiful verse that is not pulled out of the Old Testament a lot. And then I want you to see it's actually two verses, 10 and 11 of uh, Zechariah chapter 2. Scripture says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Isn't that beautiful? God says, I'm on the way, I'm coming, and I will dwell with you, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. Do you see 
right there how God, even though He chose a people through whom He would bring Jesus, the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, even though God chose them, His intention has always been to reach the world. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's Emmanuel. The Lord coming in human flesh to dwell in our midst. You hear this verse a lot over the Christmas season and Again, for good reason, John 1, 1 in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down, I believe, in verse 14 of John 1, Scripture says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Complete fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us. Well, we're up to number seven. Hold on tight. After this, there'll just be three more, and you'll be out of your misery tonight. Which Old Testament prophet prophesied that Christ would be a sacrificial lamb? Which Old Testament prophet prophesied that Christ would be a sacrificial lamb? Do you need a hint? It's a major prophet. You know, you got the major prophets, minor prophets in the Old Testament. This is a this is a long book of the Old Testament, a major prophet. Which Old Testament prophet prophesied that Christ would be a sacrificial lamb? And I'll tell you this. This came up in our message last Sunday night. Last Sunday night, the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting there reading the prophet. Who was it? Isaiah, that's right. The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah in 53, beautiful, beautiful chapter of Scripture, uh, looks to Jesus on the cross and he writes he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth Uh, again a lot of people would call that the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy which all of this is woven together in a beautiful Christmas tapestry isn't it that the seed of the woman is coming to bruise the head of the serpent, that he will be miraculously conceived and virgin born so that he is Emmanuel, God on earth, tempted in all ways but never ever sins. And so he can go to the cross and be the supreme perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Isaiah 53. Okay, number eight, an angel warned Joseph to flee with Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Which minor prophet foretold it? 
I told you it's getting harder, Lori. It's getting harder. All right. An angel warned Joseph to flee with Mary and Jesus to Egypt, which minor prophet foretold it. I'm not going to give you any hints on this. It's a hard one. I'll admit, this is, this is a hard one. I see some eyes. see other eyes down a piece of paper. All right. Are you ready for the answer? Who has a thought and doesn't care to reveal that thought? Which minor prophet prophesied that Mary and Jesus? Is it Amos? That's a really good guess, but it's not Amos. I'm sorry. Who? Not Micah, but but it's actually Hosea, and it's it's a prophecy that that you know is there because the New Testament tells you that it is a fulfillment of prophecy, but it's just a little part of one verse, Hosea 11 verse 1, that talks about, out of Egypt I called my son. Why did Joseph have to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt? What was going on? I'm hearing census, taxes, what else? Yeah, so... This would happen a little while after Jesus was born because, you know, the Magi come, the wise men come, and Herod gets upset about it because he's afraid there's someone there to threaten his throne, and he goes through Bethlehem and has all those that were born around the time of Jesus, all those male babies killed. And so it's for that reason that Joseph would have to take his family to Egypt and ultimately bring them back to Israel. Two more. Here we go. When the wise men sought Jesus, which Old Testament book did the priests consult to find his birthplace? How many of you were here Sunday morning? All right, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to say any more. When the wise men came to seek, because they had seen his star in the east and had followed out to this place, to Bethlehem, what book did the priests talk about to find his birthplace? Yeah, you got it. Micah. Because this is exactly the verse we looked at Sunday morning. But you, O Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, means what? What does the word Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Ephratah means, yeah, refers to the vineyards, to the wine. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So yeah, when they come seeking the Lord Jesus and the priests are called in 
and consulted, they said, well, look at the book of Micah. Micah says in 5.2 that it would be Bethlehem. There it is. All right, least but not last, which Old Testament prophet prophesied that a messenger, who we know to be John the Baptist, would prepare the way for the Messiah? That's a hard one too. It's Lori's fault. She's asking for hard ones. All right. Which Old Testament prophet prophesied that a messenger, who would be John the Baptist, would prepare the way for the Messiah? All right. I see people with heads down writing, so I'll give you just a moment. Are you ready for the answer? Does anyone want to call it out? Anyone have a guess? That's a hard one. It is. It's actually Malachi. Malachi talks about it in three one. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. All right, make sure you keep your sheet, fold it up, crease it, put it in your Bible, put it in your purse, your pocketbook, whatever you do, and bring it back next Wednesday night and we will, we will continue. But I, I do want to take you back just very briefly to Genesis 3.15. And I want you to look at this picture that I've brought to you tonight to see on the screen. So again in, in Genesis three fifteen you have this prophecy of a coming one that will deal with the problem that now the world faces because sin has entered. You know that dialogue that goes on between God and Adam and then God and Eve and God and the serpent um, let, let me make one remark before we, we just look at that one verse and, and say this. Isn't it an amazing thing how God was the one who pursued? This whole thing starts with after they've sinned, Adam is out in the morning time and he begins to hear God and Adam and Eve do what? They, they try to hide from the face of God. And what's God's question? Adam, where are you? So who's pursuing who? Adam and Eve are in their sin, but are they running to God? Or is God pursuing them? God's coming toward them. And so God asks Adam, where are you? What's in that question? It, let me just ask you, is that, a, is that a geographical question or a spiritual question? It's a spiritual question because uh, an omniscient God knew where Adam was. It wasn't like some type of hide-and-go-seek, right? God knew where Adam was, but God wanted Adam to tell him where he was. And more than it being a, a question about location... It was a question about his spiritual condition. 
Adam, now that you and Eve have fallen, where are you with me? The implication is, before this, we had perfect fellowship, and we could walk hand in hand together, but now, Adam, where are you? You're lost, and you need to be saved. You're hiding, and you need me to come find you in the condition that you're in and pull you out of it. And so, uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent, they all have a meeting with God, they have to be accountable to God. And, you know, Adam gets questioned first, and he blames Eve. Right? There you go, Charles. The woman God you gave me. So he's not really just blaming Eve, is he? He's blaming God. God, you, you brought her to me. I was doing fine by myself. It really wasn't. God gave him a great gift. But God, you gave her to me. She did it first, and she led me to do it. And then God questions Eve, and and Eve says, it's not my fault, but it's the snake's fault. It's the serpent's fault. And so that goes on and on until finally God's heard enough, and we don't have time to read the whole account. But ultimately, God speaks to the serpent And he says, and the serpent is who? Serpent's the devil. And he says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there have been all kinds of artwork and illustrations that have illustrated things about the fall and about the resolution from the fall that God is working out. But this is one of my very favorites. The the artist was a lady by the name of Grace Remington. And what do you see in the picture? Yeah, so Eve is on the left, and you see the beguiling serpent there around her feet. And then who do you suppose is on her right? It's Mary, of course. And Mary, you can tell in the picture, is with child. She's expecting Jesus. And where is Mary's foot? Yeah, portraying that it would be her seed, which was the baby that's illustrated in this picture, is coming. And he's going to take care of Satan. He is going to deal the crushing blow. Obviously, Satan would strike Jesus, but Jesus had the final word. And I love the way that God puts it. You know, He he doesn't hide it. He he makes it very apparent. You would think that He'd talk about the lesser and get to the greater. In other words, the lesser injury would be the bruising of a heel, and then the greater injury would be what? The bruising of a head... But God wants people to know that from the very beginning of time, He already had a plan to bring about Christmas. He had a plan to bring about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just love the way that that picture portrays that. My friend Eric Geiger uh, wrote a little treatise some years ago. And and I want to give you three things very quickly. I'm not going to comment on them. 
But Genesis 3.15, when you think about Christmas starting there, we're reminded of three things. First of all, we're reminded that God keeps His promises. All the way back in Eden, at the beginning of time, God said that through the seed of the woman, through Eve and her children and her children's children, down through the generation of time, He would bring Jesus. He would bring the Messiah. And when we know Jesus came and was born, and that He did His completed work on the earth, and He ascended back to the right hand of the Father, when we know the fuller story, the bigger story, and added to that the fact that Jesus is coming again, what does that tell us? God keeps His promises. God promised in Eden that He had a plan. The book of Revelation says that Christ is the Lamb slain when? Before the foundation of the world. And so when we are reminded of 3.15 in the book of Genesis, it just tells us that God keeps His promises. Number two, we're assured that God is both great and good. I want to read you exactly what Eric wrote. He said, He is so great and powerful that He's able to pronounce the plan of Christmas and then arrange all the details to beautifully orchestrate the incarnation that Jesus would come in flesh. And He's good enough that what what would God do right after you have this occasion? God provided the sacrifice. He took the animal and killed the animal and it would be the height of the animal that would cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. That's the goodness and the grace of God. So in His greatness, God has a plan that nobody can thwart, that will come to fruition, and in His goodness, He carries it out so that we might be saved. And the last thing he mentioned is simply this. We see the Bible as one story, and in that one story, there's only one hero, and the hero is who? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible is a hymn book, an H-I-M book, a book that's all about Him, all about Jesus, the full narrative of Scripture from Eden in the beginning to Christmas and the coming of Christ to Easter and the resurrection of Christ to the book of Revelation and the second coming of Christ. It has one full complete narrative and in that narrative there's one hero and that hero is Jesus. Amen and amen. Do you have prayer concerns that you want to mention tonight before we dismiss in prayer. Yes. Okay.